Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Greetings, comrades, and welcome to Quarantine. Yeah, that's obviously the name of the show for now, because just like everyone else, our country too is stuck in a kind of a locked out of the rest of the world stage. Well, Laffy is doing that starting 17th, but hey, as everyone's forced to sit in their homes, not to move anywhere and work remotely, I suppose we can have a nice little chat about, well, what else? Soviet and Russian politics. This time it's kind of mostly Russian politics, but it ties into the Soviet ones as well, because I took the last week off because I felt really bad, and, well, apparently I had had a lot of work to do this week. But yeah, I have my script back, and I have my book back, but in light of all this coronavirus, Putin's government and people there managed to pull off such insanity that I just couldn't just start up the show after a bit of a bit of resting period without mentioning the utterly bizarre and weird, how did they even uh, come to think of this, things that have happened. First of all, um, I'm going to have to mention that the hero of our story, of our first part of this, on um, how do you basically cripple your own economy with one swell move, our hero Igor Shechin, whom we're going to be talking about, he's basically the personal deputy of Putin, and he's in a very leading position of Rosneft, because we're going to be talking about the Saudi-Russian oil war, which is mostly known as Saudi slapping Russians very terribly. But Mr. Shechin, he's the kind of guy with such predictions of the future and such penchant for being kind of very future-oriented and having great ideas that he's known for literally becoming a member of the Communist Party in 1990. At the point where everyone was trying to get out of Dodge as soon as possible and move away, Mr. Shechin managed to become a member of that party even if it was for just that short period of time until the USSR collapsed, but hey. And now this guy is uh, responsible for making sure that the oil price is collapsed by about 30%, and Russian ruble is now 75 rubles per dollar, approximately, and around 80-something, 82, 83 per euro. And then the really crazy things part that involve cosmonauts as well. Yeah, in the time of coronavirus, let's just talk something crazy because, oh wow, I've missed you, and also I've missed these Meanwhile in Russia type episodes. Okay, so short intro about how oil prices work. 
the more oil there is in the market, the cheaper it is, because, well, it's the usual supply and demand route. Okay, so then there are various different types of oil as well. Uh, Russia and Saudis, they have, well, natural oil, which is like the standard one. You have a huge drilling operation, and then you just get oil out of it. Russia, however, has kind of a heavier Urals type of oil. It needs to be cleaned up a bit, therefore Urals type of oil is a bit cheaper normally than the Saudis Brent type of oil. Yeah, I've studied a bit about these various oil types. And then there's the shale oil, which is mostly produced in the United States. That makes the United States the largest oil producer. And it's a quality oil thing. And it's been driving up the competition of these various uh, oil-producing countries. Oh, and also there are sanctions on Venezuela about how they sell their oil to support the Maduro's regime. That's kind of the short story. That's, that's where we're at at the beginning of this. So, first interaction is that OPEC countries, which are these oil-producing countries of the Middle East, they are just basically are kind of a cartel, oligarchic thing, because, you know, they, they produce most of the oil... So they can kind of arrange to control the prices, make sure they don't fluctuate. They want to make a nice steady profit. Then Russia and Kazakhstan, mind you, which are not OPEC countries, but they make deals with OPEC countries. That's the so-called OPEC Plus. It's only called that on paper. There's, it's just basically deals with them. And they, for the past three years, have been basically striking some deals with the Saudis about how they should limit how much oil do they get. Because even though shale oil is kind of more expensive, it's getting cheaper, but shale oil is a bit more expensive than traditional oil. However, you know, we Europeans kind of like to buy our oil from the United States. The United States, instead of, you know, being a country that purchases oil, now is an oil exporter. So the Saudis and Russians and everyone needed to find some new markets there. And Europeans mostly tend to buy the shale oil. Even though it's a bit more expensive, it also has like higher quality going on there. Belarus and, well, my country sometimes don't have such choice because we also have Lukoil and other little things, but basically Russia and Saudis were focusing and mostly aiming at Eastern Europe instead of Western Europe and Asia, places like that. They found a lot of good markets in Asia, specifically China. So the shale oil is causing them issues, uh, but they're very competitive and they make nice profit out of China. So two things happen. One, Russia helps their buddy Venezuela with their oil sales which kind of angers the United States, and the United States, between that and among other things, they impose sanctions on Russia. But by this point, hey, sanctions on Russia, there could be imposed, uh, well, literally anything, starting from Crimea with Donbass, and it's basically whatever. At the same time, our last little buddy, after whom everyone's quarantined right now, also makes a hit. So coronavirus happens, and, well, China's demand goes down, because it's not about the disease, it's about how people just don't work in factories. That is why, well, the demand of oil goes down. Uh, But to keep the oil prices steady, there is a deal between OPEC countries and Russia about how to keep these prices steady. So they had a nice little deal that would expire on the 31st of March, later this month, basically. And the OPEC countries agreed amongst themselves that they have so much more potential to uh, get more oil coming in. But they decided to basically cut down on oil production, well, even more to counteract the lack of demand for oil, to balance out the supply, as to not make oil super cheap. And they offered that to Russia. Meanwhile, Mr. Igor Shinsov, obviously, when 
talking with Putin. Yeah, I, I don't know what happened on this guy's head, but he figured out that, hmm, well, we have to do something. And I presume the discussion went something like this. Hey, Mr. Putin, we have to do something about the shale oil thing. Let us really hurt those Americans, because I've got a plan. Because, like I said, shale oil is more expensive to get, but also kind of, you know, more expensive to sell because of that. Russia decided that if they just keep cutting the supply of oil and, well, don't get as much oil, don't produce as much oil, then people are just going to switch and that's going to give the United States a larger share of the profits, which they don't want, you know. Some oligarchs probably don't have their own private yachts at this point, so they decided to basically start to throw off these things and this would be kind of bad for them. And instead of doing this in a diplomatical way, because, well, Ukrainians and other people now are constantly stating that the Saudis should have expected that, you know, striking some nice little deals with Russia usually ends up very bad because, well, they get thrown under the bus. Apparently, Mr. Shichin not only decided to cut off this whole deal that Russia and Saudis had, he also managed to literally storm out of the OPEC meeting, be extremely rude... Putin also managed to be extremely rude, and he also threatened the Saudis, calling them insignificant. And a lot of diplomatic faux pas later, they were like, yeah, bring it on. We're just gonna apply our liberties to uh, get as much oil pumped out as we possibly can starting the 1st of April. Because Putin believes that the United States need oil prices above $40 per barrel to, you know, keep the shale companies flowing. Now, I'm not an expert on how the United States oil industry works, but I'm pretty sure you guys get cheaper gasoline when the oil prices go down. Let me tell you something. That doesn't happen in Russia because the money gets stolen. And sure, some shale companies might close, but I think Exxon is going to just grab some medium-sized shale oil companies and just grab them anyways. But just some trivia that I found out when I was researching about how this might actually affect the United States economy, and it won't do anything really... And this seems like a stupid idea, and it is a really stupid idea. Because in response, Saudis, who not only got, like, screwed over economically, and whose deal just got thrown out, it was done in a super impolite manner, and they were publicly humiliated. So then Saudis went like, yeah, so we're gonna pump out all the oil. The thing is that they can increase the oil that they pump out to insane levels, even more so that Russia can pump out their own oil. But at this point, if Saudis are now doing the damping thing, then Russia got worried about this, the fact that Saudis didn't take this lying down, but instead started pumping out their own oil. So Russian response did a thing that they promised to do. They also started pumping out as much oil as possible because that was the only way how they would cut their losses. And now we have a nice little price war. By the way, Nigeria, Colombia, and some other countries are in this too. The problem is that ruble is tied to the oil prices. So after all of these shenanigans went down, if you obviously congratulated your ladies and all the women that you know in the 8th of March, International Women's Day, then you woke up in the 9th of March, and what you saw was that an oil price collapsed by uh, 30%, and ruble just basically also collapsed. Now, again, oil prices going down in other countries would mean that the gasoline prices would go down. But as in Russia, the gasoline prices consist of almost 95% just various taxes so that people would basically be able to give out 
some nice little unearned cash income to their oligarchic buddies. And by people here, I mean only people who matter, that is Putin and his friends. Yeah, the only thing their government did was promise people that, nope, gasoline prices will try to not to make them go higher. And they promised their own companies that, no, 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 we won't allow the gasoline prices to go lower because, yeah, the profit margins of uh, these oil companies of Russia are in a steady priority over other things. That's part number one. And yes, this is as down as it sounds, because they literally shot themselves in the foot because Saudi economy, Saudi is a much more compact economy. Saudis have larger oil reserves. Saudis can produce oil faster and they can produce more oil. Saudis have a less burden on their population. Saudis are way more prepared than Russia in uh, dealing with a damping war, even though Russia's spokespeople have been trying to tell that, no, 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 it's totally not the case. I mean, everything's fine. But if everything's fine, then... um. Russian television right now is trying not to mention anything about ruble crashing and it's going on a everything is fine mode because there's literally nothing on the news about the terrible, terrible uh, situation. Also, uh, it is, again, let me repeat you, illegal to post um, kind of publicly on the streets the exchange rates of various currencies. So even though people in Europe or uh, the United States don't really care about exchange rates that much, as people in Russia are, well, often vary about uh, the future of ruble, they really do care about the exchange rates, because if you have some savings, you don't keep them in rubles. Most people would keep them either in euros or dollars, so exchange rates matter to them. And as Russia, well, exports basically only oil and gas, and, well, is a very, very heavily import-reliant country, because... Again, their self-sustainability, even though as much as they tell, it's kind of there, but very few actual things are produced in Russia, and they can't sustain themselves, and they're very import-reliant, even in the military-industrial complex. Yeah, everything's going to go up in prices there. And I've noticed that even on comments uh, on YouTube videos where previously people would yell at people who would say something bad about Putin. Right now, people are just going slightly off the grid because of how terrible and how shocking all of this was. I mean, right-wing opposition, left-wing opposition, all the possible opposition are just now pointing at Putin and saying that, oh, wow, this is totally crazy. (laughs) But the number one thing that they're pointing out is that, obviously, ruble has been nullified. And that's a meme now, because in light of this, obviously dumb, obviously, um, I think this goes into the category, no one really thought of this, or it seemed to be a great idea at the time, or please give me my beer and let's see if we can, you know, strike a small little quick victory against the capitalist Americans. Yeah, there's no strategy in this, there was just, like, incompetence and um, willingness to do something stupid, because really... People on various economical journals, they try to figure out why this happened and and they try to figure out some weird things. But for the most part, no, it was just really stupidity of Mr. Shechin's part and greed. And people just wanted to basically hurt the United States a bit from a stupid perspective without thinking this through. And yeah, at the very same time, Mr. Putin, who obviously hadn't expected this to happen... Decided that it's totally okay and his uh, previous, what, four terms in power just don't count anymore. Yep. 
we all thought here on the eastern border that he's going to do something smart, you know. He made his constitutional shenanigans about weakening the position of president. All the signs and all the analysts kind of show that, hey, he's got to do some crazy-ass shenanigans to appear legitimate, but, but save his power where he could be in a different position, but still influence things and be kind of from this father of nation position, but... Turns out that, I guess, doing really dumb things is the theme for this episode, because what happened is blatant, stupid, audacious, dumb, ironic, involves cosmonauts, and just in the middle of all of this crisis looks like an utter pandemonium, an utter spit in the face of average Russians, I would say. It's just madness. So let's get to it, I suppose, but don't expect a bunch of good things happening because, oh boy, because of this nice little adventure, Russia, who are basically hiding their uh, true statistics of uh, their infection rates from coronavirus because they're very much underreported because, you know, real numbers would make Russia look bad. Russia really needs mass events to happen in mid-April, which is when everything else is still going to be basically under quarantine. So that's going to be a bit of a pickle. So, let's turn to Tereshkova. Hey guys, Annette here. I hope you are enjoying our new episode of The Eastern Border. As always, a big thank you to all of our Patreons. The show would not be possible without your help. If you are not a Patreon and would like to become one, head over to the Eastern Border page on Patreon.com. Please remember to also follow us on our social media, like Twitter, where we are known as Eastern underscore Border, and on our Facebook page. We also have a Discord server, so if you're interested in that, find the link in the description of this podcast. That's it for now. See you online. This podcast brought to you by RussianVoiceOvers.eu. Enjoy. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. So, what happened? Basically, on the 10th of March, the State Duma had convened to vote on the second reading of constitutional reform legislation. Vladimir Zhirinovsky the leader of LDPR, our good buddy Zhirik, the craziest man in Russian politics, in the last minute decided to add some amendment that would basically mean that the parliament itself would be just thrown away and emergency elections would happen. Now, people disagreed on this fact and thought that, hey, maybe we should kind of start um, talking about this situation, maybe we should figure something out. Then... Mr. Tereshkova tries to press a button. Yes, the same Tereshkova, the first deputy, the first woman in space, who's still a senator in Russia, 
Yeah, she's still alive. Yeah, she's still kicking. I think she's 74 right now. Yeah, she presses a button in a totally random and spontaneous and not previously incinerated kind of invented way whatsoever. She decides to state that, well, how about if we're making these uh, constitutional changes? Well, we could, you know, stop mumbling and quarreling and we should, you know... Either remove the restriction altogether about the candidacy of being, how long can you be a president, or if the situation requires and the people want it, we'll provide in the law the possibility for the incumbent president to be re-elected to this position. And this is in the middle of, of coronavirus. This is in the middle of this oil war when Russian economy has just plummeted down. And, and what happens next is, like, even crazier. They voted and approved of this in five hours. Because... The state Duma speaker at that point, which is like the speaker of their Congress, Vladislav Volodin, an almost tearful look in his eyes, like he almost believed that this totally spontaneous, non-prepared version of events had just happened randomly, stated that Tereshkova's proposal must be discussed with the leaders of the parliament's party factions and with President Putin himself. And after this announcement, the Duma itself announced a recess. Sergei Neverov, leader of United Russia's faction, had already endorsed the proposal. Further on, crazy things happen. We find out that Mr. Putin, who normally totally ignores Gosdoma things, oh wow, he's just somewhere just around the corner. He just happens to be in the building, and he will join after the recess in 40 minutes to talk about this situation. Who would have guessed? Everyone has this talk already on their new agendas as the recess is over and uh, Mr. Putin basically comes and, well, starts talking about this whole situation. Who would have guessed that this totally random thing where Mr. Shkova, who basically did the same thing for Brezhnev, stating that by the will of the people, you, Mr. Brezhnev, should remain in power for a prolonged periods of time and should run again for the office of general secretary, and then, obviously, everyone around her at that point in the 70s just clapped their hands and stated, yes, yes, of course, Mr. Brezhnev should remain. The exact same words, basically. Uh, also, I tried to find out what she had been paid for, because, you know, uh, the all the nice people who are senators, as uh, she is, and members of Gosduma, because you can be both, um, they kind of have to put up their property and their public declarations, and Tereshkovich ones are all closed. People started making fun already, as this was happening and being reported, but Mr. Putin just so happened to make a very rare visit to the State Duma, and then he gave a speech. Basically, he rejected the proposals for snap elections and completely limited the term limits, while he supported the amendment that would zero his term clock and would nullify it, if, of course, Russia's Constitutional Court would uphold the idea. Russia's Constitutional Court, by the way, is all totally approved by... Putin. And it's kind of crazy. It was just insane. And then they voted! Oh, before the voting, uh, Zhirinovsky decided that the insanity hasn't gone um, on for long enough and that, well, we still have some pretense of anything resembling democracy, even though it's laughable at this point in Russia already. So he just basically stated, ah, well, who cares? Let's just eliminate elections for president at any point whatsoever. Let's make it an oligarchical republic where we have, like, the Council of the Federation, and they could just, you know, elect the president among themselves, because, well, why bother the common people every six years and 
and do some nonsense like they don't care anyways. That wasn't voted for, but yeah, unilaterally and the first reading just, well, basically there were uh, 40 votes who were abstained and the 300 and something more who voted yes. And so in five hours, this basically happened. No tricks, no nothing, no complicated measures, just in the middle of a super dumb decision that crashed the Russian economy on the morning of the 9th of March. In the morning of 9th of March, everyone woke up with the Russian economy being in shambles. On the evening of the 10th of March, Tereshkovit does what Tereshkovit does best, because she wasn't chosen for her skills or anything, she was chosen for her supreme loyalty to the party line. And she continues to do this. Just, well. And there are some other nice little facts about this whole situation, because... Well, as far as we know about this craziness is that, well, according to higher school of economics scholar Mikhail Krasnov, Russia's constitutional court already ruled in 1998 that even the adoption of an entirely new constitution does not zero presidential term clocks. Yeltsin tried to do that because, you know, he, well, ran as for president when it was still the Soviet Union and it's complicated. And they said, no, Mr. Yeltsin, you can't do that. I wonder if the, if the Constitutional Court will say anything like that to uh, our newly elected sacred Vladimir. By the way, that's not a joke, because as I was researching this episode, I looked at some uh, Russian of official orthodox st- stance on all the situation. They totally carry on uh, their mass spring events. They don't plan to do any form of quarantine or anything like that. And they also state that it is very good that true believers of Russian Orthodoxy vote for all these constitutional changes because Putin, well, St. Vladimir, as they call them right now, well, some people who are higher ups in the church already call him that, talk about crazy. Yeah, they already support this, but hey. Also, Federation Council Chairwoman Valentina Matvienko, who was asked about the situation, says that it's wrong to claim that Russia's constitutional reforms were designed from the start as a way to extend Putin's presidency, because at this point, journalists are just asking this straight up. She still insists that the 2024 presidential election will be competitive. And yeah, this is crazy. And they adopted this amendment. They adopted this whole amendment in two days, and it was just crazy. And apparently, the text of the term zeroing amendment, the nullification of Putin's terms, which is why everyone's now talking about the nullification of ruble, nullification of oil, because this just comes together, and a lot of people just call it a coup. Uh, yeah, the text of this was distributed to deputies 20 minutes before the vote. The amendment says that um, presidential service before Russia's constitution is reformed that will not limit future candidates. Basically, the fact that you were a president before doesn't mean you can't do it in the future. And... If you want to hear a whole compilation, I'll read something from Medusa. They have a special thing called In Brief, where uh, they go through important comments on various things. And here, their collection of opinions here is called How High-Ranking Russian Officials Are Justifying the Move to Let Putin Serve Again and Again and Again. And this is a collection from Duma speakers, deputies, a combination of officials speaking about this. Because no one really cares about how the common people think. Quote, the people criticizing the amendment don't love Russia. The attacks on Tereshkova are attacks on our country because she has introduced a plan that will make Russia stronger. Vladimir Vladimirovich Putin is the rod keeping the Russian Federation upright. 
Internally, Putin can't let himself just wash his hands of the whole thing and say, I'm out. He picked up Russia at the point of no return and took on a responsibility that will stay with him for life. Polling shows that the citizenry supports him and their opinion shouldn't be neglected because Putin should have the right to another election. Popular opinion has always been important to the president and that's exactly why he didn't agree to an automatic extension of his authority. The constitutional court's opinion should be affirmative because they must respect the people's choice. A ban on current presidents running again is a destabilizing factor. Oil and gas prices may fall. And this comes from Dub Speaker Richard Volodin. But our one true resource is Putin and we must protect him. And uh, you might have some obvious questions about, hey... What about the stability? Is there actually stability in Russia? Uh, and what's happening here? And why is everyone looking at everyone strangely right now? Because while people in Australia are apparently mad and purchasing rolls upon rolls of toilet paper, and while most people are just worried about their health and their loved ones, and some are enjoying working from home, truly, Russia just decided to go all out because... Putin obviously wants to push on this whole thing because he still needs some people to actually vote for the whole kind of changes in the Constitution. He can't just, well, adopt these changes as is. He still needs a tiny, tiny sliver of legitimacy of of this pretense that there is some choice for the people. Because, you know, Putin may eliminate various candidates from elections, but he cannot eliminate the no option, even if it's a whole package, from this um, people's vote. If you recall, that's a people's vote, not a referendum, because referendum has rules, and referendum has a minimum uh, participation required for that to count. No such thing for public voting, which is why they're trying to do all the possible tricks to make sure this passes through. Also, this public vote does not even need to have any uh, foreign observers either, and it also can happen when you get to vote home, and all sorts of things can be arranged, because... No one has any idea that this will go, like, wrong, but, hey, he's trying. The thing is, uh, it's currently scheduled for 22nd of April, where, like I said, uh, the whole quarantine effect will be still, well, in effect. And this is important because he wants to announce the results before the 9th of May, as this is the 75th anniversary from the end of the World War II, or the Great Patriotic War. And Putin wants to have this legitimacy. He's won. He's this new winner. He wants to basically be the father of the, the nation. He wants to play up on this Pabedebesia, as some people in Russia call it, this whole pride about winning the Second World War, to which Putin had nothing to do with, but he will make a super massive grandiose parade, uh, ignoring any risks about coronavirus, and but that's going to be ignored for the April as well and ignoring all the economical situations. He wants to have, a like, a Napoleon, he wants to have this massive grand parade in the 9th of May, which would signify his utter victory just two weeks earlier in the 22nd of April vote. And, you know, foreign leaders will arrive on this parade, and that will legitimize him as this ruler, because, you know, they'll tie together them coming for the victory parade, and his so-called victory in the legitimate, totally legitimate, uh, people's vote that they're going to have by the constitutional changes, that'll basically allow Putin to sit up until the to 2036. And it's crazy because he'll be over 80 at that point. He's 68 to 70 right now. He'll be 74 in uh, 2024. Or 72 because, again, he's 
tampered with his birth certificate and various statistics. Now throw another 12 years on top of that, he'll be 84. But, hey, what, what can you do? I mean, I listened to another commentary about this whole situation, because this looks so miserable, this looks super cynical. Just as your minister does something so dumb, and he couldn't have done it without explicit knowledge of Mr. Putin, just as coronavirus exists, just as your economy is in shambles, you do this utterly cynical thing. I mean, it basically looks like, I don't know, Mussolini all over again, and some cult of personality is is thing, because a lot of media, the very few independent media, and even some state-controlled media, because this is too blatant, have been asking Putin about cult of personality and his own sense of grandiosity. And Putin's press secretary, Mr. Peskov, stated that... Putin aggressively fights against Putin's personality cult. Obviously, you know how that sounds, right? It's just just amazing. But Dmitry Potapenko, an economist that I listened to, who um, has radio personality and also spoke about this whole matter, is said that, well, actually, you kind of would have to feel pity for Mr. Putin. He's created such a super-authoritarian, extremely presidential state that he can't go away. He's always been kind of a person that always wanted to live by his own rules, and he hates when his life is being, you know, dictated by literally anyone else. That's not just him. Even though there were some plans about father of the people thing, this other stuff, no, man, no one will care about that. No one will care about the fact that now they have many constitutional changes. No one will even bother with the Constitution. It's just that, obviously, it is just a massive ploy, which ended up way simpler than we expected. But Putin can't leave. Even if he himself has guarantees that he won't be prosecuted for his numerous crimes against the country and against well, humanity, even. Like, he's denying that his daughters exist, even though we know that they exist. And what if they have kids? I mean, even if Putin somehow himself manages to avoid some sort of punishment, his children, his uh, grandchildren, he doesn't know if they'll be safe. Even if he just dies in office... He'll still be properly paranoid about them, because there is no way, at this point, there is no way that his legacy will be something that people will remember fondly. And they would have, if he would just, you know, actually stop being president when he should have in 2008, 12 years before. But yeah, I'm sorry for this kind of a hectic thing, but we're getting back to normal. And I'm working on the Bolt episode, I'm just going to re-record some things about it and uh, work on the script, make it better, make it longer too, because I have it. But hey, when things happen in the country next to yours where you want to go just totally what? You have to make this one. Anyway, see you this week, because I really want to work on all this stuff. And uh, at this point, at this point, yeah, uh, a bloody revolution. That's, that's the only thing that I expect from the future. I think it might actually be better than the alternatives. До свидания, товарищи. Thank you for listening to The Eastern Border. If you have any comments or specific details you'd like to know, you're welcome to leave it in the comment section on our site, theeasternborder.lv, and we'll rummage even to the western border to find you an answer. Like this podcast? Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or on our RSS feed. Happiness is mandatory. Good reviews and donations feed the farmers of our kolkhoz in the great motherland. The Eastern Border salutes you. This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org for more shows like this one.
The Dark Myths Void. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.